Well, here's a picture of uh, a church. There you go. Um, that's my, ch- my picture of a church um, in the sense that I composed it. I, I took the shot. It was done in the olden days. I went into a dark room and I developed that photo and then I made the photo frame. And uh, so that's what I say about my picture of the church. Uh, Not that I'm into church buildings, by the way. I've deliberately walked past countless church buildings in Europe in my time. Um, They're not really my thing. But the local church is my thing. Uh, The local church, the gathering of God's people for his glory and for our growth and our good, that's my thing. And uh, my question today is, what should that look like? What should the local church look like? Uh, What's a snapshot of the quintessential local church? Uh, what What should the snapshot of the church hanging on our wall look like? That's the question that we're going to answer today. I hope from our passage, you better have it open, just make sure that we're, we're tracking right. Uh, but what would a, a snapshot of a gospel-centred church look like? Well, to make it more personal, our question today, what should our church look like? What sh- should our church look like? There are a lot of theories out there. Uh, when I was packing, to, packing out my study uh, to, to move to Queensland, um, I noticed that I have more than one box full of books on the theory of what a church should look like. So there's countless theories out there. Maybe you've got a few. Uh, But this term, we're taking our photographic paper into God's dark room and we want to develop a snapshot of a church which is in line with his picture. And so we're asking the question, what should our church look like? And for our purposes, we're going to use uh, Philippians as, uh, as a great place to start. A Philippi Presbyterian Church was Paul's model church. PPC, that's right. MPC would do well to capture their heart, to strike their pose. So what does a faithful gospel church look like? Firstly, it has gospel foundations. A faithful gospel church has the gospel as its foundation. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. See, Philippian Presbyterian Church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You'll notice... Uh, We'll take a look at verse 1 and 2 in more detail at the moment, but you'll notice uh, the gospel is at the very core of its being uh, in Christ, uh, receiving grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus. Uh, So the gospel is at the very core. It's the basic basic building block. It's the guiding principle. It's a church built by God through the gospel gospel the good news of Jesus. And that's what we saw in Acts 16, wasn't it? When we read that, the background to planting the Philippi church, it was God's very clear direction that brought Paul to Philippi. You'll notice in that reading from Acts 16 that Paul was trying to go off to different places all the way through and God was saying, no, not into Bithynia, no, not in Myasia, down through to Europe into Philippi. And so God directed his footwork. Uh, God directed his mission 
And as his mission unfolded in Philippi, we see Lydia, the rich fashionista, trying to uh, meet Jesus, uh, trying to be right with God. We meet a slave girl with a tormented life, and we meet a jailer just trying to get by, all of them impacted by the gospel and brought to faith in Jesus. Paul had a missionary strategy. Uh, countless, Countless studies have been done on Paul's missionary strategy. Uh, But here it was very quickly derailed uh, because God was clear on his purpose to plant that that church. Uh, The famous theologian Mike Tyson uh, once said, uh, everyone has a plan until they get a punch in the face. That's a great quote. Uh, You'll hear that more than once from me. But Paul's punch in the face just meant that he had different opportunities to, to present the same gospel, the same good news about Jesus. And it's a great approach to life, isn't it? Wherever I am, whatever is happening, uh, I will seek to display and declare Jesus and I'll know that God is overseeing the whole process. Uh, The result in Philippi were that different people with different experiences, dealing with different spiritual issues, struggling with different life questions, but all gratefully saved by the power of Jesus through the gospel declared uh, a common thread uh, through uh, through this uh, a common thread through this new baby church is not people with similar interests and similar backgrounds, but the gospel DNA, gospel centeredness. A number of years ago, I was on uh, just going having a look around America with one of my brothers, and we were in Washington D.C. We went to the FBI building, had a look through there. We were walking past the DNA lab. We looked through the window, we saw all the guys in their white lab coats and the tour guide said, does anyone know what DNA stands for? And I said, National Dyslexics Association. And he, he looked at me with utter contempt and just said, no. <laughs> Apparently he hadn't heard of that association. Uh, but then this nerdy little 12-year-old piped up and gave the right answer. I don't know what the answer is, but... Um, You'll have to ask one of the 12-year-olds in our, in our church family. But essentially, it's DNA is the building blocks of the body. It directs how the body grows. That's the gospel in the church, isn't it? Uh, God pursues his people from all walks of life, from all nations, uh, from all tongues and all people groups, different people from everywhere. And he calls them and adopts them into his family through the gospel. Uh, Whatever spiritual experience, whatever ecstasy, I can't even say this word, existential angst or big life questions you are dealing with, they are all addressed and answered in the gospel. A faithful church is committed to the faithful declaration, faithful proclamation, because we know that it is the power of God to save all who believe. We know that, don't we? We believe that. Yeah. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He is complete in and of himself, lived in perfect community for all eternity, Father, uh, Son and Spirit, living in perfect community for all eternity. They don't need anything else, but he has invited us into relationship with him. He seeks us, and because of his love, he pursues us. And that's evident in the opening of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Take a look again at verses 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people. Uh, 
people who have been set apart by him, saints, we are saints, are called to be God's people. And notice this, in Christ, because of relationship with Christ, in Christ, but at Philippi. It's not the Philippi that distinguishes who the people are, it is the Christ. It's not the Mitchelton that distinguishes us as God's people, but it's Christ. We're called as God's people in Christ and he sends his servants out with the gospel and he calls a people by the gospel to be his precious set-apart people and I like the way that Paul refers to himself and uh, Timothy as servants and then he identifies the leaders and he identifies the people and he says but this message is for all of you all of you listen no one's above the gospel no one's beyond the gospel listen in his great love God has saved his people They are recipients of his grace by virtue of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what in Christ means, signifying their response to the good news of Jesus. In his great love, God has gathered his people and the church grew. Uh, The the letter to Philippians is written probably 10 years after Paul uh, planted the church back in Acts 16. But this is God's design for his people, that we would meet as a community that we would have leaders and pastors to equip the members for works of service, to preach the word, so that we are not blown every which way by every new doctrine and and, uh, theory of teaching. Uh, I want you to see that MPC is not an accident. Uh, We are part of something much bigger. We share gospel DNA. And it's no coincidence that you are here today In Acts 16, God uses lots of different situations, various means to bring the gospel to people. So do you think that God had any less hand in your salvation than he did in the Philippian jailer or the slave girl or Lydia? Do you think that God is disinterested or distant in your search which brought you to this building today? Do you think that the gospel is any less able to address your desire to be in good standing with God or lacks the power to deal with the forces that harass and control and disturb you or offers less hope in addressing your sense of meaning and worth? See, God is at work. He is here among us. He will work in us. Uh, God will work through us. And maybe he is at work to rescue you today. No one is beyond the power of the gospel. Rich and stylish, poor and tormented, tough and surly. No one is beyond the power of the gospel. Uh, We are a community chosen and built by God whose very DNA is the gospel. And that means that as a faithful gospel church, we will be a gospel family. The Philippian Community Presbyterian Church are a great joy to Paul. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. I thank God, uh, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's a very emphatic um, thanksgiving, isn't it? Uh, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Uh, there is a real sense of overflowing joy. What if, uh, and they're great affirming words for a church. Wouldn't you love to receive a, a letter like that from the Apostle Paul to MPC? Every time I think of you, 
I respond with joy. What brings such joy? Take a look at verse 5. Paul is rejoicing because of Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It is persistent gospel partnership, isn't it? The word partnership is often translated as fellowship, uh, but the church has managed to really drop the ball on the word fellowship, I think. Um, It's a bit like the word awesome. Awesome. Everything's awesome these days. Take a look at this awesome meme of a kitten. Uh, One of my brothers calls them memes. They're a meme, isn't it? Uh, Originally, if you were confronted by something awesome, you would almost melt with fear and fright. Uh, You would be face down on the ground, wailing out loud that you're dead. Uh, But we've managed to tame the word. Our fellowship is much the same. Uh, You say the word fellowship and many people are thinking of weak church cordial style biscuits and a chat about the weather. Paul would be like, what on earth are you talking about? That's not fellowship. Uh, Partnership, the word we get for fellowship, partnership, is is locker room language. It's a wedding ceremony language. The concept of having skin in the game, being intimately and fundamentally engaged, where you and a friend are heavily invested in an enterprise and both are working feverishly hard to make sure it succeeds. There is sweat and toil and commitment. That is the partnership that Paul is talking about. That is the partnership that he's rejoicing in. That's persistent gospel partnership, skin in the game. And Paul's joy comes from their persistence, their gospel sweat as they push in the same direction. They have maintained the sense of urgency and the primacy of the gospel going out. It's still their passion. It informs their prayers. It directs their decision. It controls their wallets. And so I've got to wonder, I ask myself the same question, but I'll ask you now. Are we gripped by such gospel passion? Do you look at your life? If you look at your life, can you say the gospel guides me and directs me in such a manner? Do we reflect deeply and thankfully on the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, you were brought from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, an heir of eternal life through the gospel? as others made sure that you heard it. Great, uh, great testimony from Rowan this morning, wasn't it? The sitting in R.I., a lady who probably had no idea what the fruit of that, but she made sure that he heard the gospel. I think of your own life and your own conversion. Where did that come from? Someone making sure that you heard the gospel. For me, it was men in, in uh, We War Presbyterian Church making sure that my dad heard the gospel and persisted. And then he became a Christian, and then all of a sudden I started learning about it. Uh, so does that drive us? Is that what's at the heart of our church? Are we convinced of the urgency of the gospel that apart from a personal relationship with Jesus, trusting in his work for our forgiveness and our standing before God, then apart from that, people are facing an eternity of death and destruction, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 2, 
Uh, we read that Jesus' assessment of the, Philippi, uh, of the Ephesian church sorry, was that they had forgotten their first love. They looked proper, they looked like they were doing well, but they had forgotten their first love, the heart for the gospel, not the Philippians. In 2 Corinthians, we read that the Philippians gave out of their poverty and then pleaded to be able to give more. Uh, the gospel controlled their wallets. Uh, later on in Philippians, we're going to see that they sent their best minister, Epaphroditus, to Paul to help him out, that, uh, they, that they, their, um, their gospel ministry increased all the more as they saw that Paul was imprisoned for his gospel efforts. You see how... This is what it means to be persistent in gospel partnership. That your life is driven and directed by the gospel. This is what it means to be on about gospel business. This is what it looks like to be a gospel-centered church, working diligently for the gospel from the first day until now. Looking for every opportunity for partnership. For us, it will mean we need to grow a heart a gospel heart for North Brisbane. No matter how clearly or cleverly we express our mission statement, whatever that's going to look like when we come up with it, if we come up with one, no matter how spiffy sounding the words are, the truth of the matter is it's got to impact us in here. The truth of it has got to come from here. So it... Uh, let me say it will extend you. Gospel ministry will extend you. Uh, but what other message is there that brings eternal life? The Apostle Paul, uh, Peter got it right, didn't he? Uh, when he says to Jesus, where else do we have to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Hope now, assurance and life to come. So let me ask, are you excited by the prospects of how God might use us here at MPC to extend his kingdom? Are you looking forward to the future? Are you willing to get on board, uh, to join in with gospel partnership? G.K. Chesterton said, uh, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and not tried. I understand that. Uh, it is difficult sometimes, isn't it? Making gospel-shaped decisions is hard. Uh, if you've got the opportunity and time to teach RI, uh, that's a hard call still, isn't it? You're committing to a time frame every week. Uh, you're putting yourself out there in front of little kids. Uh, one or two by themselves is kind of all right. When there's a whole pack of them in front of you, that's a bit intimidating. But you see, uh, you've got the opportunity to plant the gospel in someone's life. So I'm not saying it's not nervous. I'm a bit nervous too. Let's pray. Let's be people who pray. Commit these things to God. I'm, I'm very heartened, by the way, during the week. To, lots of people are saying grace. That's good. And praying for Hamish. That's excellent. Keep it going. I'm, I really do appreciate that. Maybe you're a bit nervous about our adventure together, that it's going to require more, more than one hour every, every other Sunday. Um... Let me say, if you're convinced of gospel truth, then it certainly will. It will be more than one hour every other. It will be more than one hour every Sunday. Uh, that will be the challenge from the front. I'll put it out there. But in the end, I don't want to coerce anyone into through feeling guilty or pressure. But in the end, 
if you are convinced of the gospel truth, that's the thing that will change your life. That's the thing that will help you decide. Let me say, uh, there will be very little joy, if any, in your Christian walk, very little fulfilment, very little confidence or experiencing the power of the gospel at work in your life through Jesus at work if you are not invested. Uh, if you're not invested, if you're not partnered in the gospel, then I guarantee your faith will be stunted. Uh, it will often feel dry. It will cause you to wonder why bother. At which point you'll be in danger of drifting off, being led astray. But with partnership comes a confidence. It's a reminder, verse, take a look at verse 6, one of my favourite verses. Being confident of this, says Paul to his readers, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, it is Jesus who does the work in you. He started it. He will continue it. Uh, we, we have that guarantee. But we promote. We keep in step with him. And uh, we promote. It's like the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's the fruit of the Spirit in us. But then we are called to keep in step with the Spirit. Go along with God's program. Put your trust in him. Put yourself in situations that are nervous for you, but see the power of Jesus at work in you. God's power will be at work in you. God's grace is upon you, says Paul. God complete, he will complete what he started in you. You cannot lose. So why not engage? Will you partner with us in, gospel fam in the gospel family business? as we seek to grow as a faithful, gospel-centred church, as we seek to reach North Brisbane with the good news of Jesus, as we partner with others who do that as well, all around the world, will you partner in prayer, in engagement? And sometimes partnering just looks like simply turning up. How encouraging it is to see uh, lots of the seats full. And don't underestimate the encouragement that is for our fellow members in the church. And when we stand and sing, the band's doing a great job today, uh, when we stand and sing, uh, how good is it to hear lots of other people singing with us? It's encouraging, isn't it? Uh, this is what it means to be persistent in the gospel, joining together, encouraging one another. Now just imagine that if in a year's time, Sunday, February 12, 2023, I say, all right, everyone... Put up your hand who became a Christian in the last year and to look around and see a, a sea of hands. You reckon that would be encouraging? You reckon that would be encouraging? Would be encouraging. Who's become a Christian in the last... Put up your hands now. Who's become a Christian in the last year? Okay. No one. So we, we can only move forward. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Okay, so imagine that. How is that going to happen? How is it going to be that in a year's time we ask for who's, who's become a Christian in the last year? It's only going to, if we're a gospel-centred, gospel-persevering church. Be a good, good story, though. Be fun to hear how people became Christians. So my question to you is, will you have skin in the game? And finally, as a gospel-centred church, our desire and our goal is gospel fruit. So we're gospel foundations, we're a gospel family, we're bearing gospel fruit. That's the focus of Paul's prayer here at the end. Take a look, verse 9 to 11. This is a, a great prayer to pray for one another as well. 
great prayer to pray for our church. And this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's not just this emotional feeling. It's based on, uh, on the truth, the firm truth of Jesus. That will grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays for them. He's praying for their gospel growth, isn't he? He's praying for their love for one another based on a conviction of the lordship of Jesus Christ, that if Jesus, being God, has done this for me, and has loved me in such a way and forgiven me in such a way, then I must reflect that love to one another. Uh, Sam did a great job in the thought bubble, didn't he, on love? Confident little button, isn't he? <laughs> it was very good, though. It was very good. And it's a good challenge. And this is what Paul is praying, that we would love one another, that we would overlook the faults of one another, that we would overlook the offences of one another, because we know and understand what Jesus has done for us and that we would replicate that toward one another. That we're a church family that takes this seriously. We, we choose not to be offended. We choose to forgive, to move on, to grow. And because as we'll see, a loving church is a, a huge witness to our community. And verse 10, he, he wants gospel-shaped lives lived, uh, well-lived and commended on the last day. You see, this is a persevering thing. This is an all-of-life thing. Whole of life, all of life, until that last day. And we see in verse 11 that the fruitful life brings glory to the risen Lord Jesus. Paul is praying that God's people would continue to grow in, in gospel-shaped lives because the gospel is not only for the lost. It's for us as well. It is the cross of Christ that shapes our lives. Take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. It is the resurrection that gives us focus. Uh, our goal and our direction in this life, <clears throat> our true life is anchored in the life to come. And it is the love of God displayed in the gospel message that moulds our lives. We are aliens and strangers here in this world because we are citizens of heaven. A few years ago, I was walking through Spain with another one of my brothers and uh, I kept bumping into this German guy. There's a picture of the German guy, the glasses on. Um, <clears throat> his name was Michael. He's forever saying, oh, you Aussies, you're prisoners. And I didn't understand what he was saying. You Aussies are prisoners, blah, blah, blah. And after a few days, I cottoned on it. Mate, got it all wrong. We're not prisoners, we're convicts. Hand-picked <laughs> by the best British judges. <clears throat> he never really got it. <laughs> you see, Paul wants us to get it. We are chosen by God in Christ for his glory. Excuse me for a tick. <clears throat> Paul's prayer is that the weight of this truth would bring to bear lives which reflect Christ and his love for his people and his love for the world that we would be conformed to the truth of the gospel, that we would be gospel-centred people in a gospel-centred church living out the gospel in a world that so desperately needs to hear it and understand it, 
that we would be shining lights in the dark sky. A few years ago, a guy called Michael Hart wrote a book on the 100 most influential people in the world. Uh, Jesus came third. First was Muhammad, second was Isaac Newton. The author, who's not a Christian, but said, it seems to me that if Jesus' people actually did what he said, he would be first. People, it seems, actually notice how followers of Jesus live. God has called us. Jesus is at work in us. But Paul's prayer reminds us that we are called to be a part of this growth in gospel-centeredness. It takes some response from us. I wonder if you realise that a huge part of evangelism, of taking the gospel to the world, is simply through growing in gospel-shaped lives together. A gospel-shaped church in a community will be a, a massive... Uh, a massive, I've lost the word, it's right there. <laughs> a massive influence on our community. It'll be a testament to the gospel. A church community of people who truly love and serve one another is a huge witness. Witness is the word I was after. Members of the community who, we would be members of the community who love life and treat others with respect and humility, even if our core values don't align, that takes concentration and self-control. But here's a suggestion. You're probably already doing it. And just invite your non-Christians over for a meal and invite some of your Christian friends over so that your non-Christian friends become friends with your Christian friends and then uh, they start to know Christians. Again, coming back to Rowan... He grew up in an irreligious family. He didn't know. And, uh, he didn't know Christians. Uh, you could be the only Christian that someone knows. Uh, here is an inn for you to make a, a, a huge difference in their life. Uh, be aware uh, of your neighbours, your workmates, your school friends, your uni friends, your butcher, your gym class, your bowls team your bridge club, it could be that you are the only Christian that people know. Uh, you have a great opportunity to sow the seed of the gospel into their lives, but it's far better done if you're inviting your, your other Christian friends around to meet them. That's good, isn't it? The most significant evangelistic thing you could ever do could possibly be just invite something around for a barbecue. I suggested to some of our ministry team the other day that maybe people don't like it when they see photos of themselves. Um, I certainly took a long time to get comfortable seeing myself on screen when I was uh, on screen every week for, for COVID. Um, Sam indicated, no, he likes it. So <laughs> Rowan indicated he likes seeing it as well. My point is, let's be a church who is not ashamed of the picture of a gospel-centred church uh, that we present to our community. Let's be a church committed to, to being very happy with the picture of a gospel-centered church that we present to the community around us.